Welcome back to another Cardinals Off Day episode. This is our All-Star Break episode. We have compressed the entire All-Star Break, which some people would consider multiple off days, into just one single off day. And this is our episode to cover all of those off days. I am Ben Godar. With me, as always, is my good friend, Ben Humphrey. Ben, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing pretty well. I'm a little sleep deprived, uh, as evidenced by me confusing uh, Herrera's debut age with his current age on baseball reference in a, in a tweet I sent earlier this morning. But when you when you have a three week old baby, you probably should not be reading small numbers on your cell phone at all, let alone trying to share them with other people on social media. Well, Ben, I think the fact that you looked up a fact before you tweeted something puts you in about the uh, 98th percentile of all uh, Twitter users already. So even if you uh, maybe transposed a couple uh, a couple digits, I think you're uh, I think you're still way out ahead. I, that makes me feel a little bit better, uh, but I, I I'm still sad that my you know tweet about Mason Wynn, Jordan Walker, and and Herrera all being about the same age as the Cardinals first round draft pick. <laughs> uh, uh, Mason Wynn Jordan Walker is pretty incredible in, a, in and of itself, but uh, being able to throw Herrera in there like, hey, we've got guys in the majors or on the cusp of the majors uh, who are um, as old or a little bit younger than this guy. So let's tamp down the expectations a little bit. Yeah, it is funny. And that is always something that happens at draft time is like, everybody's sort of the same age based on when they're drafted. And we forget that some of these guys are like not even 18 yet. And other guys are like, you know, graduated college seniors. So it can be a pretty, pretty big, uh, big swing. So, um, well, we are going to get to a number of things today. Um, We're going to spend quite a bit of time uh, doing a little bit of a a trade preview, because I think that's probably what a lot of us are going to be watching over the next couple weeks as we lead up to the trade deadline. Um, we've also got a number of, uh, good questions, um, from readers we're going to hit on later on. But before we get into that, Ben, as we sit here at the halfway point of the season and you look back over the first half, uh, what, what do you feel like you learned over the first half of this season? Uh, that, you that Oliver Marmol is full of it. Uh, you can't really trust a thing that he says. And I think the players have come to recognize this. And hopefully the front office isn't far behind because this guy is a liar. <laughs> and also just like you can't believe you just it's uh, he has no respect for the media. And he has no respect for fans, because if you're going to lie through your teeth like that, you don't have respect for people. And when you lie through your teeth to the media, you are effectively lying through your teeth to the fans, because who consumes the media? Fans. Um, And he also, I think it might be fair to say, doesn't have much respect for the players. And we've talked about it before, his his public shaming of Tyler O'Neill and his ridiculous little smart and relentless diatribe. Uh, you know, early in April, and then the entire team runs the bases like like dog crap for months, and he apparently does nothing. So uh, either that, or he has tried things, and the team just doesn't care, which means he's he's lost the team, or he has no standards, or he has different standards for players based on whether or not he likes them. I I don't know. At at any rate, um, 
it seems like it's inconsistent and frankly beneath what uh, almost anyone has a right to expect from a manager, but certainly a major league baseball player has the right to expect from a manager. And I'm done with Oliver Marmol. I just, I don't believe a word that comes out of his mouth. I think it's all hogwash. And I think he'd uh, lie about his mom to make a dollar. So uh, that's where I am on him. And that's what I have learned from the first half of this season. Wow. Wow. Well, um, I'm, uh, I, I, I don't know that I'm, I'm quite as, uh, quite as far out as you are, but, uh, I certainly, uh, am not uh, gonna be sad, uh, when they, uh, when they let him go, which hopefully will be fairly soon. Uh, Ben, I feel like over the first half of the season, uh, and you and I have called DeWitt ball, DeWitt ball for some time, um, somewhat, uh, snark- <laughs> snarkily, um, and uh, but I think we've also grudgingly accepted that DeWitt Ball has more or less worked. Um, yes. <laughs> for, for the, 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 the funny thing is, when we started using this term, I meant it as kind of like a a, a double sided coin, you know. Right. And, and I think we've done a good job of talking about the positives and the negatives. Right. But uh, a fun historical fact: when I coined the term methenogene. I had intended it in the same way, and it, and it came to be only negative. But I still think there are positives about uh, DeWitt Ball, but I, I just wanted to share with everyone, if it feels like it's gotten a little negative, re- events have dictated that. Our intent was certainly not to mock it uh, relentlessly for years. Well, well, I'll tell you what, Ben, I, I think it was more or less uh... – an effective system that you know people didn't love right it, it made certain sacrifices but i think for you know a number of years it delivered what the goal was to deliver which was you know a competitive team you know year after year at a at a price point that bill dewitt was was comfortable with and felt sustainable and i just feel like you know this year we're just seeing you know dewitt ball essentially be broken or at least the manifestation of it as uh, as operated by this kind of current regime of Cardinals ownership and Cardinals front office. And I think a big part of that is just that, you know, part of DeWitt Ball has always been that there are just, there are things that the Cardinals don't do. There are just thing certain baseball moves that the Cardinals take off the table, right? So we know that they don't sign big contracts for free agent pitchers, right? Like we just absolutely know that's off the table. That has been for a long time. I have to say over the last couple of weeks, I've heard multiple media people talk about how, well, you know, if Jordan Montgomery hits the free agent market, of course we know there's no way that they could possibly re-sign him. I find that so ungodly depressing. Like, oh my God, like really? They can't even sign like number three type starter, Jordan Montgomery, right? Have we, have we really... <laughs> you know, come to accept that. I mean, yeah, we understand like they're not going to get in like a Max Scherzer sweepstakes. Right. But really now we, 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 we've come to accept that they're not even going to go after like a, a, a middle of the, you know, rotation Jordan Montgomery type, but apparently a lot of people have accepted that. But anyway, that's been off the table for years, right? You know, back kind of in the era, the sort of previous era of the, you know, Japanese players coming over from the NPB, the Cardinals never once paid a posting fee, never once. The only players they got from there were in, would, would be, you know, free agents or some other kind of contract status. They never once would pay, uh, go through the posting system where they had to pay a fee to the, the, the team. It was just one of those things. They just obviously had ruled that out as like, that's not a way we're going to do business. That's, you know, et cetera. 
So there's just there's which, always which is, is uh, which is how they landed like the so to Gucci's. Exactly. Right. Because those, those guys would just, you know, yeah, because he was like, I think he had actually coming off of like a suspension for gambling, if I remember correctly. But, um, you know, uh, so anyway, there, there's always been certain things that they just wouldn't do. But I just feel like they just have added like more and more and more kind of things that, that like there are just sort of things that the Cardinals don't do. And, you know, one of the big ones that has just really piled up over these last many years is they they just don't bring in outside help and they particularly don't bring in outside help that could usurp the Moselliac regime in any way. So we don't, so that's why we've seen a series of non-threatening field managers hired. That's why we don't see any kind of, um, you know, anyone in the front office in any kind of analytics area of the sort of Lunau type before, you know, you know, anyone who could a potential rising star that could, you know, threaten the top. We don't see, you know, we don't see them brought in. Um, they don't draft high velocity pitching anymore. They don't even really seem interested in acquiring guys that do that. I mean, they just continue to take so many things off the table. Like we don't do that. We don't do that. We don't do that. And I just think there's, there's just not enough left, right? There's not enough things that they do do or are willing to do left for them to execute a successful baseball team. And at this point, I think basically the two tenants that are left of DeWitt ball are, you know, it, it's about saving Bill DeWitt money, of course, right? There's, there's a, a real strict financial cap on like what this team will spend. And, and we also know that their payrolls have been going down. They were 15th this year, um, which is the lowest that they've uh, they've been like since payrolls have really been kind of publicly tracked. Um, and then on the front office side, you know, Mo's work really has been about just kind of preserving his job and, you know, not bringing in people that are kind of threatening to him there. So, you know, that's just not really a recipe for you know, win innovation and winning baseball, either of those things. And I think that's what we're seeing is we're just seeing the absolute stagnation that's come as a result of that. And so to me, that's where we're seeing DeWitt ball being broken, because I think this is what it's led us to. And, uh, you know, if and, and basically what we're stuck with is just that, you know, until the sole owner of this team, Bill DeWitt Jr., uh, you know, wakes up one morning and decides he wants to change that it's not going to change. That's just literally the thing that will change this. So, uh, you know, here we are. Um, and hopefully, hopefully it'll change. Hopefully it'll change at some point this season or after this season. But, you know, that's the only thing that will really change that because that's the only thing that will change that mentality. You know, it is DeWitt ball. It's not Cardinals baseball. It's not the Cardinals way. It's it's DeWitt ball. And I, I think the thing that, that could potentially bring about that change is – the inability to develop cheap, good major league starters like Carlos Martinez was the last one of those. Yeah. And um, and Lance Lynn, you know, you need yeah. those guys if you're going to do the DeWitt ball model, because if you're not going to spend on high agent or on high end free agent pitching, you have to develop your own internal no. high-end free agent pitching and if you do neither of those things you are left with overpaying a little bit for dr thunder yeah well you say that ben but that all is predicated on whether or not the 80 year old man with all the money is paying enough attention to notice any of those things and that's what i don't know if that's the case 
anymore because that's that's all been going on for some time and it's been pretty clear yeah. they've, they've fallen well behind the you know player development re uh, revolution for some time all of these things have been true for you know for some time and there's been no action no kind of real structural action to address that now they didn't they've never been on track for the kind of disaster season they're on track for now so that's why this will be a real kind of you know test case because certainly you know you know this maybe could finally shake loose some change but we're going to have to see it in the second half we certainly haven't seen any change significant or otherwise happened so far um but ben that might be a nice segue into thinking about what some of that change could be and talking about uh you know the trade deadline coming up which which obviously should the cardinals decide to you know be sellers or just whatever they do has a potential to kind of transform this team so what uh what are you thinking about as we head towards the trade deadline uh the the first thing that i'm thinking about is is something that i have to remind myself every year as the all-star game uh, festivities wrap up and the trade rumor mill really starts to fire up is the way major league front offices work, you know, and the way the media works and the media components a little bit trickier this year because Twitter is going straight down the toilet. So, um, you have to be very careful about rumors on Twitter anyway, but, uh, this year, I feel like you're going to have to be even more careful because it seems like Twitter's gotten rid of most of its staff that would prevent, like, at Ken Rosenthal with a one instead of an L from existing. <laughs> like, Twitter will do nothing about that for weeks. So you have to uh, be aware of that. <clears throat> the other thing is, more and more, and, you know, I'm thinking back to when I started writing a long time ago about the Cardinals, I feel like more and more the media is internet-based and it chases clicks. And so you'll have people regurgitate things from social media or other articles that might be behind a paywall. And it's very important to keep in mind what that original reporting actually says, because you know a team like touching base on a pitcher or checking in or discussing a pitcher, Every team does that on countless players with every other team, even if they aren't interested in trading for them, because they want to know what the market might be uh, for players on their roster, as well as on other teams. So they're, they're sizing up, you know, if there's a good deal to be had or what the price point might be a good deal to be had if they're trading away someone in contrast to acquiring them. And so there's a great, great degree of due diligence that major league clubs perform and you need to keep that in mind because teams touch base on all kinds of players every trade deadline the media reports some of those they do not report the vast majority of them so we need to keep that in mind as the the rumor mill really starts grinding out uh the as my uh son would say really starts grinding out the hot goss um on what's going on uh with trading players and so you know if you do those things where it's it, you know what it constitutes you know hashtag smoke as joe strauss from stltoday.com used to used to use as a hashtag on twitter you know before something becomes smoke there's these 
kind of precursors to it. But then once teams really start talking, you know, you can kind of see where multiple outlets are talking about this. They're perhaps discussing parameters or specific names. That's when, you know, your, your ears need to perk up and you need to pay a little bit more attention because that's when something might actually happen. Um, what makes it particularly difficult for the Cardinals is they do a great job of not leaking anything. And so they will just, all of a sudden there will be deals announced. And uh, back in the day, I used to take trade deadline day off, you know, and I was writing it up at Viva Albertos and the number of times that, you know, even after the deadline or close to it, a Cardinals deal was announced where there was not even any indication that it would happen. You know, uh, Edward Mujica comes to mind as as a specific example where there was there was like nothing about this. And then all of a sudden this this deal came out. And so that's the other thing to keep in mind. Mosaloc and Lord knows folks have documented his faults and what they don't like about him uh, to a great degree. He does a very good job of keeping a lid on what the Cardinals are doing while they're doing it. You know, I think all of us were surprised, for example, by the Jordan Montgomery for Harrison Bader trade. But that was something where Gersh found out that was possible. And then they circled back to the Yankees, which is really incredible because that's the New York Yankees who, you know, who have a ton of leaks about what's going on. And so that's the other thing is even if it's silent about the Cardinals, the odds are they're talking about something that could they could spring on us at the last second. And so I just wanted to give everyone kind of this primer on this is kind of what the trade deadline is like generally. And yeah. this is what the trade deadline is like for the Cardinals in particular. And so uh, be keep that in mind while you're consuming media in the weeks to come. Well, I think that's a good, I think, I think those are excellent reminders for all of us. Um, I tell you the one hesitation I have this year going into the trade deadline is I compared to years past, I'm just not convinced that the Cardinals are rational actors as they head into this trade deadline. And I, I really am not. And, um, you know, it's just it's been interesting listening to, you know, Mo in particular, as he's been kind of interviewed about this and just talking about their plans. And and look, that's always kind of a, a challenging topic, right, for somebody to, you know, talk yeah. about. You know, he can't give like a straight answer. So like you kind of get that. But and of course, Mo speak, he's he's just a master of of sidestepping those kind of things anyway. But, you know, even so, gosh, the quote he gave the other day about like, well, they could be buyers or they could be sellers or they could do nothing or they could, you know, buy and sell <laughs> yeah. and all this. Um, and, and, you know, and just some of the other things are just some things I've heard certain kind of media folks talk about their expectations. You just get the sense that a lot of people around the team are not really convinced that they're they're even actually going to be sellers, um, which is kind of shocking. And, you know, and it may well not be true. Right. It, but but, um, but I, I'm not taking it for granted that they are going to, you know, move the pieces that they should move to improve the team because they really do seem I, I, to me this year. It goes beyond just not showing our hand to there is some level of like delusion going on um, up there. And, uh, you know, and whether and it's always hard to tell where it's coming from, too. There is also the you know, Mo made the comment about, uh, well, I don't know if the St. Louis Cardinals are allowed to rebuild, which really sounded like kind of saying, I don't know if I'm allowed to rebuild by the owner. Yeah. You know? Oh, um, 100%. That's what it was. And and so there's just, there's so many 
there's so many factors there. I mean, does, does, you know, Bill DeWitt again, is he, is he plugged in really? Does he understand what's going on? If, if he's not, you know, plugged in and, and wanting to see something remade here, well, that's, that's just a non-starter and that's not going to happen. And then of course, even if he is, is the front, you know, is the front office's perception of this team really as kind of screwed up as frankly, it kind of seems like it is based on some of their comments. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know, Ben, I, I feel less, I feel like I have less of a handle on that than I, I think I have probably at any time, you know, since I've been following this team. Oh, I, I think you make some good points. I think he even said like, well, right now I would hold him or something like that, like invoking uh, Kenny Rogers. <laughs> like you, you gotta, I, and I was thinking to myself, I, I would probably fold bro. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. Um, um, I, I think, I think I would, uh, if you, if you'd also know when to walk away or when to run, I might run at this point. Like, I don't yeah. know. I'd get, I'd get away from this season as fast as I could. The, the thing that I find uh, interesting is, you know, you have talked about like, where is Bill DeWitt? How plugged in is he? And then you have Mosaic. Well, I don't, I would, I think he said something like I would, I would hope the St. Louis Cardinals would not be allowed to rebuild. Mm -hmm. And, um, and to me, what's interesting about this is more and more, I feel like circumstances, and this goes back to the Mosaic extension where he basically said, I'm going to give other people more responsibilities because I'm getting ready to transition to another role. Well, more and more, the way this is shaping up is this is Mosaic and the other people with more responsibilities, Michael Gersh, Randy Flores. Um, you know, this is kind of their shared creation. Yeah. And more and more, I am wondering if we aren't going to see much other than get rid of the people we don't have beyond this year. Mm -hmm. And then DeWitt moves Mosaic to that other role. Yeah. Brings in an external president of baseball operations with yeah. flexibility to do what he sees fit. Yeah. And lets him clean house and yeah. do what he wants to do to build this team. Yeah. And I that that seems more akin to like the Lunau situation where, you know, Jockety was arguably I would say arguably in as strong a position as Mosaic, um, you know, in terms of track record of success throughout his career. And well, well, uh, and then he got, you know, kind of undermined a little bit with that Lunau hiring. And I wonder if they're going to go in a similar direction with Mosaic. Right. But Lunau, Lunau was hired three, four years before Jockety was was let go. And so there was yes. kind of this this new blood brought in. And then his his power kind of kept rising in the organization and created the friction. That's, that's true. Led to Jockety leaving. Yeah, I mean, if we're gonna and we're stepping out of the trade thing here just a bit, but I agree. If I had to speculate, kind of timeline wise, uh, you know, word to wit to kind of you know make some kind of changes here. I mean, look, they're not going to make a radical. Uh, change to the front office right before the draft, right? And I don't right. think they're going to do it right before the trade deadline either. And really, there's probably not much of a point to doing it before the end of the season. So I agree. If if something like this is going to happen, it's probably going to happen after the season. Um, 
but yeah, I, to me, that feels like probably almost what needs to happen because I think what's been set up is this whole lineage, this whole Moseliac lineage, right? Where whether it's the his handpicked manager, his his second or third actually handpicked manager, right? And then whether it's, you know, Gersh or Flores or on and on, it's all of these kind of handpicked guys by him all set up to kind of succeed each other in these roles. Well, if this system is just not working, it's not like you want to just change the guy at the top, but then continue on and elevate all of those handpicked uh you know people that were kind of uh you know brewed in the same system you really want to just sort of change up the system so that'll be telling if in fact that is the direction they go i think if if dewitt is going to step in and make a major change that would be the you know that would be the major change right there so um but i guess turning things back to the trade deadline here ben and Looking at players specifically, um, and, and if we're going with the assumption that they are actually going to trade guys. Uh, so one thing I did, Ben, I did look at some of the guys who we expect are the most likely guys that they would trade. And these are basically the um, more most of these guys are guys who are uh, contracts done at the end of the season. And I tried to look back at last year and see kind of what was seemed like a comparable deal. So Jordan Montgomery. I look back last year, the most comparable deal I could find was uh, Noah Syndergaard going from the Angels to the Phillies. He had a he was on a one year deal at the time. So, you know, kind of going out at the end of the year at that point in his career, similar ish kind of mid rotation kind of guy. Um, Phillies got back uh, Mickey Moniak and Yadiel Sanchez. Moniak had topped out as a number 12 prospect in their system. Um, he's he's uh, he's in the majors now. He's doing OK this season. Jordan Hicks, um, I compare that to the, the Cubs, uh, David Robertson trade again, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, kind of closer, uh, you know, ish reliever uh, end of his uh, contract. Um, they got back uh, Ben Brown from the Phillies. Um, he was ranked 26th in the Phillies system last year, but was having kind of a breakout season. He's now um, anywhere between number three and number six in the Cubs system. You know, he's at AAA, so he's really kind of shot up. So they kind of did well there. Paul DeYoung, I think you could comp to uh, to Whit Merrifield, kind of where he was at, um, similar contract status. And I think overall, you'd say similar value, obviously some different kind of trajectories and stuff there. So the Blue Jays got back uh, number 16 prospect, um, from or, or sorry, the Royals got uh, Blue Jays number 16 prospect um, who was a second baseman outfield named Samad Taylor, who, who got a little bit of time in the majors this year. And then uh, Max Castillo, who's a triple A AAA starter, who's had a little bit of MLB experience, so maybe kind of like a Jake Woodford type. And then the last one I kind of uh, looked at on here. Um, this is uh, the, the, the Blue Jays acquired Anthony Bass and Zach Pop. Um, from the Marlins. Um, I thought that had the look of maybe like a Giovanni Gallegos and Chris Stratton together kind of deal. Um, and uh, in return, they got uh, Jordan Groshans, who was uh, a shortstop. He was the MLB.com number 82 overall prospect last season, but was really kind of having a bad season. He's now out of the top 100. He's actually ranked ninth in the Marlins organization. So I just threw a whole bunch of kind of names out there. I'm guessing most of those names are not names our listeners have heard of um you know only a couple of them were guys 
who, who I had heard of. Um, and, you know, I think it's a lot of sort of, you know, uh, you know, a lot of your kind of, you know, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th type ranked guys in systems. Um, I think, Ben, that feels pretty uh, comparable to me to what we can expect this season from that kind of crop of guys from from the Cardinals. Would you would you agree? Yeah, I I would caution our listeners uh, with the most likely path the Cardinals are to go down at the trade deadline. Prepare to be underwhelmed. Yeah. I you know there's some uh, they're going to get some guys some of whom might pop, um, but I don't think they're going to get people where you look at the players they are getting in return and you're thinking, oh. This is this is a part of the solution to help this organization turn around. Yeah. Um, you know, in particular on the pitching front, because young cost controlled pitching, the type of pitching that the Cardinals have failed at developing in a in a very effective way, uh, in the rotation at least, uh, over the last handful of years, they're very valuable. And the Cardinals don't have a lot of valuable pieces that they would probably be willing to trade. And so uh, unless they're going to part with someone who you aren't prepared for them to part with, Uh it's unlikely they're going to get that type of piece back. And so... um, the yeah, question and, really... and, and, and even then, I mean, you really have to go up to, you know, you go to like the Juan Soto deal, right? You know, and yeah, they got back to like former like first round picks and like, you know, you, you look at the hall there, you start to get this like massive hall of like prospects. But, you know, again, that's you're talking about a generational talent, with like multiple years of control left. So the gulf between that kind of trade value and, yeah. and the kind of guys the Cardinals are trading is massive. And, and even then, those guys that the Nationals got back, those were some big names, but those are still, you know, for the most part, I think Mackenzie Gore had a little bit of MLB time at that point. But, you know, like it, it wasn't – you're not getting proven guys back. You're still getting, like, just guys that have a, a lower number on their prospect ranking. Yeah, and even the – you know, frankly, even the Juan Soto deal, I, you know, you're years away. The, I think the highlights of that deal are guys who are, you know, probably not. Yeah. And the nationals are in a way different position. So it's, it's a weird comparison, but, and so they were willing to bet further into the future on prospects than I think the Cardinals probably would be. And so it's a, you know, it's it's an interesting dynamic because I think they're looking more to reload than to sell. But mm-hmm. what are you reloading and for what year? And in particular, when you don't have Goldschmidt under control for that much longer, you know, he's a cornerstone player. You know, what are they going to do on that front? So unless they're willing to throw in either prospects or some of these major league players with more years of control, like a Dylan Carlson or a Lars Newbar or a Donovan, you know, you're probably not going to see much in the way of a return where you're like, Oh yeah, that's great. I'm really excited about this trade. Yeah. I think you're likely to see guys coming back that frankly project to be 
in the neighborhood of you know McGreevy, Woodford, Thompson. Yeah. Just that that the, they're basically going to add numbers in the same kind of you know middling area that they already have huge numbers in anyway. And 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 that's not terrible because you know some some of those guys can always uh, overperform, right? So that so like there's value in that but like yeah it's not going to knock your socks off when you <laughs> you know when you see like oh wow we yeah. got this like uh you know right-handed you know uh, you know 24 year old right-handed triple uh, a starter that throws 93 from you know this organization right yeah like your your best hope there is that they they get someone whose stuff can really play up in the bullpen and then they can use that to kind of help augment that part right yeah. like it's unlikely they're gonna get someone who's better than like steven Matz. <laughs> oh yeah as a starter over the next five years yeah uh so it'll be like dr thunder light because they didn't get it on the free agent market which i'm sure bill dewitt will just be like "Ooh, delicious yeah <laughs> well on that note ben uh why don't we uh, why don't we dive into some of these questions we got a lot of good questions that also have to do with this in fact the first batch of them have to do with uh, improving the team uh, sash par asks how would you prioritize a one-year plan, i.e. 2024, versus a three to five-year plan during the trade deadline. Also at this point, is 70 to 75 wins this year better or is 60 wins better? Uh, well, I'm going to go backwards. 60 wins are better this year because it's a lost season no matter how many wins they have if they're out of the playoffs. So you want a higher draft pick and 60 wins uh puts you in a in a higher slot than you would be with 70 to 75 wins now if you're maintaining kind of the vague idea of respectability that i think dewitt would perhaps prioritize he might say you know because he wants the gate he wants mm -hmm. the money that comes with yeah. that he might say the other way but i think if you're looking at how best to help the team from a talent perspective uh it's time to start cheering for the Cardinals to tank, which if they keep Oliver Marmol as their manager, they're probably going to do anyway. So that's good. Uh, but what do you, what would you do, Ben? Would you prioritize a one-year plan or a three to five-year plan? Well, um, I would probably prioritize, um, I almost, I don't know if it's a one-year plan or almost like a two-year plan. I think Ben, you and I have talked about, to me, Goldschmidt is really the the middle ground here. Like I would move Goldschmidt. I think you give up uh, Goldschmidt next year for the value you can get for him. You know, this year. Um, I think the the three to five year plan. If you're really talking about that, you are talking about more of a tank and a rebuild. And at that point, you're you're getting rid of Goldschmidt and Arenado, right? You're doing a real full kind of you know tear it down, and then. Um, I don't think there's any chance the Cardinals do that, but, um, you know, so, um, and, and frankly, from all the reporting, I think it's pretty unlikely that they do move Paul Goldschmidt, but I guess that would be what I would do, which would be more like the, the, the two-year plan, which is kind of an in-between option here. Yeah, I, this is the thing is, Arenado's the cornerstone, right? Like Goldschmidt you have for one year, unless you extend him. Either way, you're going to have two guys entering their decline phase in three to five years. So 
if you want to capitalize on the Arenado and Goldschmidt window, you really have to have a one-year plan. Yeah. And what the, and what does that look like? And so I I mean I would probably do the the one-year plan even if you even if you're getting rid of Goldschmidt. Yeah. I think you do the one-year plan. Yes. Because Goldschmidt frees up enough money that allows you to yeah. throw uh, money at the starting rotation problem yeah. uh, this off season, whether by trade, free agency, or both. And yeah. so, uh, if it were me, and also, you know, you have all of these other contributors who are good. Like mm-hmm. the offense has not been bad, mm-hmm. and so this isn't this isn't something that you have to tear down to the studs and start all over and hope you win in five mm-hmm. years. Yeah. I mean, this is something where you can tweak it. Yeah. Um, and make something happen. But I think that's particularly true if the Cardinals are going to stay the course with the Goldschmidt Arenado pairing in the middle of the lineup and at the corners of the infield. I think you have to do a one year plan. Yeah. Yep. Uh, moving on to our next question uh, Zach uh, at Kevin Zach 11 asks, even if it's possible to fix the pitching staff in one trade deadline and one off season for next year, how much faith do you have in the front office to actually make the right moves to fix it? Um, well, I, you know, I think it's a fair question in that the, certainly this front office who for, you know, really the first, you know, 10, 12 years of Moseliak's tenure uh, was had a nearly flawless record. I mean, a ridiculous record in terms of, you know, trades and like you would be hard pressed to find a trade that they, you know, quote unquote lost. Right. Um, And it has taken a pretty hard turn in these last few years. And, you know, um, as Ben and I record this, um, uh, the home run derby is uh, being contested uh, entirely by former Cardinals, for example. Um, <laughs> but um, so, 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 yeah, the, I think that's a totally valid question. I think even with the financial limitations that we know are there, the guys they've gone after, like Stephen Matz, have pretty underwhelmed, right? So, um, so that's there. But to me, it's not just that. It's the, you know the question is about you know, fixing the pitching staff with a trade deadline and off season. See, to me, that's, it's more of this organizational philosophy that we're not going to go after velocity and strikeouts and we're not going to develop that. And we're just not going to have that throughout our system. I think that's the problem. And, and, you know, and I don't think even if they went out and they acquired some guys with that skill set via trade and with, you know, a couple free agent acquisitions that they can manage, you know, that's going to be still just a drop in the bucket of their system that otherwise is just completely without that skill set. And I really think they need to make their their system over. So it's more uh, you, you see a lot more of that skill, which, frankly, you see on every other team in the league, because it's really what you need to be effective. So that's what I think would really fix this pitching staff. Yeah, like it, it is hard to overstate the importance of Tink Hence to the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, right. Like he is the only guy who I feel like projects to be what they need. Yeah. And that's concerning. Yeah. And then, and then you see the guys they, but, but, but what's crazy is 
they don't even draft those guys. They don't even go after those guys in, in the draft. You know, you look at the guys they're drafting and they're these, you know, college pitchers throwing in the low 90s. It's it's just not, you know, they're 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 not pursuing that skill set. And it's it's absolutely insane. Um, Chad Sador asks, realistically, what do you think this roster will look like after the deadline and what should it look like? Um, part two, what does it look like next year and what should it? So uh, they're going to have to clear a little bit of roster space, I think. And um, and so the obviously let's just back up and start starting rotation. Who knows? I mean, I legitimately, Ben, have no idea what the starting rotation next year will look like. This team cannot trust Mats at this point in time. Maybe he reasserts himself over the, the second half of the season, you know, but you look at it and I, I have no idea what the starting rotation next year will look like. Miles Michaelis and four other guys. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Right. Like Michaelis is the only one you, you feel comfortable projecting. Yeah. And so you can't, and McGreevy, just yeah. i mean he's just jake woodford by a different name yeah you know uh, maybe fewer walks in triple a which is good but like yeah. there's no reason to look at mcgreevy and be like right. oh yeah he slots in i'm excited about him mm-hmm. no like the best case scenario for him is like a, a fourth starter mm-hmm. and it's just more of the same and so uh gordon graceffo uh I like there's a little bit more upside there, but I, you know, he's had some injury issues. Yeah. I still don't know. Yeah. And I just keep thinking about when we had Kyle on and I said, you know, Hey, who would you in the system? Who would you put in the rotation next year? And he was like, uh, no one yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, and he's not meaning that as an insult. He's just saying it's, it's difficult to project what they have as major league starters. And that's true. And so there was a time when I would feel real confident about projecting a uh, St. Louis Cardinals farmhand as a member of the rotation in in July of the season before, right? But that, that time period is no longer here. And so that's the biggest question mark. But then you look at the lineup, you look at the position players, and they just seem to be so completely incompetent at assessing their own talent and then doling out playing time based on the skills that they have accurately assessed and allowed the players and empowered the players to attain. And it's, you know, it's doing things like playing Edmund in center field over Dylan Carlson. Like that's just beyond moronic. It's so stupid. I mean, like in Ben, I know you, you, that, that one particularly irks you, but the one that is even more baffling to me that they did a couple of times more recently was uh, Lars Newbar and left Jordan Walker and right. Like, what are, right. You, what, what are you doing there? <laughs> like, I mean, the only thing I could think of is maybe Newbar is having some yeah, lingering exactly. effects of There's his injury like where that, it's yeah. like, Lars, you know, go play left. You can yeah. lumber around like Chris right. Duncan out there and it's fine. Yeah. And then also I feel like they don't want to give up on Jordan Walker's incredible throwing arm and right. right. And, and I can kind of understand that, but like, if you are legitimately trying to win this year, it, you know, it's an either or, right? Yeah. If you want Jordan Walker's arm in right field and then you need to just put him there 
and yeah. have him play out the season in it and get on the job training. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're trying to win this year, you probably need to have him in left and DHing. And that's yeah. sort of the tension. And so like, but when they're doing weird things like, like newt bar and left, I assume it's a health issue that they just aren't talking about yeah. in the media. And that, and but, that could well be. Yeah. But it's, it, the whole thing is how are you prioritizing these things? And it's, yeah. Yeah. You know, the number one thing they need to do is if if they are out of it, Mason Wynn needs to start soon in shortstop every day well, and let him show he's the everyday shortstop next year. Well, you know, and Jordan Walker needs to play every day in the outfield and Dylan yeah. Carlson needs to play every day in the outfield because he's uh-huh. been an above average hitter this year. And if he's an above average fielder in center field and above league average hitter overall, then you need to let you need to let yourself see if that's the player that you have. And these are the things that the Cardinals have just not really been able to do for years and years and years. And that's essentially give players on the job tryouts. And that's why someone like Adolis Garcia is a Texas Ranger and not a St. Louis Cardinal because the St. Louis Cardinals could not allow him the time he needed to become the guy who's starting in the all-star game and competing in the home run derby. They, they, they were not allowed to do that because of where they were on the competition curve. And so mm-hmm. now they're further back on it and they have time to allow these guys at least a partial season, if not a season and a half to show what they can do. Yeah. And, and they're going to have to make some tough decisions on that front. Yeah. I mean, I guess just to kind of finish up on the question here, um, to your point, I, I feel like there's a good chance that they move to young if they are moving people. And that does yeah. serve that goal of getting uh, uh, getting win in there, which I think definitely they need to do. I think we see some of those. Hopefully we see, uh, you know, uh, starting pitching, you know, moved um, either uh, uh, Montgomery, uh, you know, or uh, Flaherty or both. You know, and if that's the case, you know, it's just your kind of, you know, parade of number four guys, you know, Woodford, Thompson, Liberator, McGreevy, maybe, you know, who can, you know, just, pick, you know, pick a name out of a hat. It'll just be a mix of those yeah. guys. And, you know, whenever, you know, Wayno's ready to, you know, come back and, you know, uh, do what he does, et cetera. So I think that's what we'll see. Yeah, we can do the death march to 200. Yeah. Uh, moving along, Andrew Leak asks, why, oh, why have they not fired Ollie? Or at this point, literally any staff member. I'll even take the equipment manager at this point. Um, well, and Ben, I can't wait to hear from you on this. I'm not, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on uh, Oliver Marmol. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, uh, you know, I mean, I think it's a great question. I, I think on our last show, Ben, it was like the beginning of July, and I really thought there was a moment right then to just to 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 fire Marmol, bring in an interim person and just give it the month of July to say, hey, could you, you know, I think they were maybe like eight and a half back at that point and say, hey, can you can you put together a little bit of a run here, maybe get close enough that you do at this trade deadline, do what they thought they were going to do all along and make themselves contenders you know that's the kind of thing the Phillies did last year we've seen it happen with so many teams that they do that I'm kind of I'm kind of surprised they didn't do something like that because this team feels good enough relative to its division that it was worth doing something like that I mean all the reporting that we hear is essentially that 
Mo won't fire Marmol because it, he feels like it will reflect so badly on him that he botched another managerial hire. So I think that's the answer right there. And so again, that's just, it, it, I, I don't have any reason to, to, I don't think it could be anything else. I mean, no one can look at him and say like that person's doing yeah. a good job. So I think that's the reason. So really it's only going to happen again, when whenever DeWitt steps in and demands changes and demands Marmol to you know to be moved uh Mozilla to be moved whatever he demands it's it's all at DeWitt's feet I was kind of chuckling to myself at the idea of the Cardinal of DeWitt forcing Moselock to hire one of the companies that does searches for NCA coaching jobs <laughs> like we're, we're, I'm not going to allow you to choose the pool of candidates we're hiring this third-party company to yes. come up with potential managers for the St. Louis Cardinals, because Mo, you're 0 for three, and yeah. uh, and I am now one for four, right. because I listen to you. Yeah, and so yeah. Uh, that's that's really where we are, and it's just very clear that Mosaic is terrible at hiring middle management because he doesn't know what a successful middle manager in today's major league baseball is if he knew what that was i would think he would be able to identify it and would not be you know over three in the last 10 years and you know really over three in the last five because that's when they they kind of found out what so many of us recognized early on that Matheny's an idiot and a terrible manager they found that out very late in the process but but that's kind of part of the problem right and yeah. then they 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 kind of overlearned from Matheny, perhaps. I don't know all the details, and immediately fired Schilt surprisingly quickly. Uh-huh. And now they have Marmal, who, like so many 30 something middle managers for organizations across the country, is in over his head and shouldn't have the job he has with the authority he has at this point in time because he's he's not a good enough manager to do it. And so you know, he just he just sounds like he's reading a script from his AI coaching chatbot that he's a business partner with Pujols on. Well, you and know, so, Andrew, what, what do you suge- do? Andrew suggested the equipment manager, but Ben, you might be onto something with the AI coaching chatbot. I think they should. Maybe, maybe they could fire that. Yeah, they, yeah. they could they could have him delete it from his phone I, so he's not uh, talking like chat uh gt or whatever chat gpt i think they would at least i think they'd at least get a lot of good uh, media stories if they let a a, an ai chat bot manage the team for the rest of the season i mean why not right do something fun um all right we got some questions about uh jordan walker and ellie de la cruz steve gloriad says please just discuss the joy that is ellie de la cruz ben have you had a much of a chance to watch mr de la cruz oh yeah oh yeah um, my brother and I were texting uh, about, and and the the I should also share with people the the genesis of this conversation is when Albert Pujols was a rookie, uh, he was not available on the the PlayStation. I can't remember if it was MVP or Triple Play Baseball that year, so I made Albert Pujols, <laughs> and my brother just continuously told me how ridiculous it was that I made his skills what they were. And then finally, after Pujols hit his 700th home run last year, he texted me from Colorado and he said, you know, in retrospect, maybe you were right about his skills when you created him on PlayStation. 
Um, and so he texted me about now, after, now what, what, what about the Ben Humphrey that you made that had all of the same skills? What about that player? No, I, I never made myself. I, oh, okay. we, we would make up players and we would name them after like historical treaties. We had a Guadalupe Hidalgo. Uh, we had, uh, we just did weird things with our players. What, what about, and, what about on the WWE games? Did you at least make yourself on the WWE games? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Good, absolutely. Good, good. Cause that was fun. That was, I just, me and all my roommates would make each other and then we just beat each other up on those games yes yes oh and when you when you have a brother who by that point in time even though he's younger than you is taller than you you have to be able to beat him up on a video game because you don't want to pick a fight with him no it's 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 a a healthy way to you know kind of offload that energy for sure yes oh 100 anyway we're getting off topic what was this oh this question was about ellie de la cruz wasn't it (laughs) yeah so uh when when he stole second, third, and home, you know, just this amazing sequence of events, just so beautiful and just like, like really something from a movie. Like yeah. it, it was, it was awesome. But he uh, texted me that he's, he's like a created player yeah. from a video game. Yeah. And, um, and I was like, I had the, I had the exact same thought. Like it's just, it's so fun to watch. And every time I watch him do something, I kind of giggle because of Kirk Herbstreet uh, with his hashtag football brain uh, going after uh, the athletic folks <laughs> about their reporting about, hey, they've got to make room for this guy. And Kirk Herbstreet's coming out here, you know, throwing himself in front of uh, Jonathan India like like he would ever tell Nick Saban that he should not play the quarterback who can throw the ball 75 yards, runs a four two forty, and, you know, it's basically this once in a generation talent. Like right. it's just the whole thing just kind of makes me giggle. Um, and so I've, he's so much fun to watch. It's going to be sad when they trade him in six years or whatever to the Yankees. Um, but it's, it's really awesome. And uh, I'm a little on the fence on whether he should be in the all-star game, but there's so much juice right now with him. And he's just, he's right there. You know what I mean? Like he's yeah. just operating on all cylinders. Yeah. I'm just kind of like, why not yeah, throw him out there? Let him do his thing. Yeah. I mean, so weirdly, like I was kind of a like pro, like competitive all-star game guy, just because I always kind of was like, like a national league guy and i kind of like the competitiveness of it and it's like baseball is the one game that like you could actually play a competitive all-star game you know like it doesn't really hurt anybody so like i like when they i honestly when they when they did the like oh winner of the all-star game gets home field advantage i was like this is a cool great idea i felt like the problem was they sort of half-assed it they still played it like an exhibition it was just kind of you know kind of stupid um so to me, if you're going to do it, the kind of full exhibition thing, it's really just a marketing event anyway. So, it, yeah, it would have been cool just to find a way to have him, you know, who cares who's there anyway, you know, like find a way, you yeah. know, say like, you know, create a new like, uh, you know, hold a couple spots back that you just put in there for the, you know, the L.A. De La Cruz's they, or, or, or a they, Lars Newbar, just a guy that, you know, like fans love this guy. Yeah. And like, let's just get this. Let's let's market ourselves and actually put the personalities here that people want to see, you know, I mean, you need, you could do something, you know, it's real easy to structure it. You just have like a fan choice vote where it's just, we choose, you know, these three guys and then, you know, regardless of what the players did or whatever. 
Um, or you just do like a, a rookie, a rookie spot, right? Like where it's someone who debuted yeah. this year gets to be in the all-star game. And that would be a way of showcasing some of these younger players. Although with the way seniority works with the MLBPA, they may not like that so much, but yeah. he, he's really fun to watch. And it would have been really fun to see him like running around the bases and doing his thing, his very unique thing um, in the all-star game this year. Yeah. Uh, Alex Wasilak uh, asks, why is Ellie getting so much more attention than Walker? Is it because the Reds are a winning team or what? Well, um, in part, yes. I mean, the Reds are a great story. The Reds are winning. Um, everybody likes a winning team. But, um, you know, Ellie just has a lot of, lot of swag to him, right? I mean, he's just got yeah. so much style. Um, and, you know, Jordan Walker is very good. I think there's a good chance that Jordan Walker could and Ellie De La Cruz could be comparable value kind of players. But he's not quite Jordan Walker is not quite doing what De La Cruz is doing yet. And he's not doing it in, in flash nearly at all. So, um, you know, the 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 ground ball hitting streaks do not really um, capture the public imagination to the extent that, uh, you know, yeah. stealing second, third, and home uh, do. So I think that's your answer. Yeah, Ellie is primetime walkers like Brian Jordan, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. there's, it's, yeah. it's, they're both doing incredible things yes. uh, as an athlete, but one of them is doing it in a way no one has ever done it before in an electric way that is just everyone is on the, 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 they're leaning forward on the tip of their seat, just waiting to see what he's going to do next. And when he's on first base, when he's on first base, it's Vince Coleman. When he's in the field, he's thrown at 96 miles an hour, you know, like it's just, it's things that are just so exciting. Um, you know, and, and, we might be having a little bit of a taste of it with Mason Wynn next year. Hopefully we will, but like it is, and then he's hitting the ball, you know, out of the stadium and batting practice like McGuire. Yeah. It's, it's just something, it's this unique blend of skills and, and as you said, swag, Brio, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Panache. You know, yes. Like it's, I mean, he's, you know, like he's, Je ne he's, sais like, quoi. he's Ric Flair out there. You know it when you yeah. see it, right? He's yeah. Space Mountain. Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. I love Jordan Walker, but, you know, like. If you want to be the man, were, Jordan, you got to beat the man. You got to beat the man. That's right. <laughs> All right. <Woo>! So, yeah. <laughs> John asks, I'm sure you'll cover the pitching, but where does Walker play every day going forward? Is he still in the outfield till Goldschmidt is done in 24 or Nato in 26? You know, I, I remember asking myself this question about Albert Pujols and then the Cardinals dumped Tino Martinez and opened up first base for him. And I feel like even though Goldschmidt, oh my gosh. Is, you just compared Paul Goldschmidt to Tino Martinez. Uh, well, it, 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 it was not, that's not fair. It's, it wasn't a skill comparison. It was a know, contract. Know, know. You know what I mean? Like it was one of those deals. Gold, Goldschmidt. I know, I'm not I counting. Know, I, I know you weren't, but it was still just felt like I got took a punch in the stomach right there, Ben. <laughs> um, 
but you know, like Pujols couldn't even throw in the outfield, and Tino yeah. Martinez was still playing first base in front of him. Uh, it, but anyway, what what it feels like is yes, he he will he will be an outfielder slash DH until Paul Goldschmidt is gone, and then he will probably be a first baseman unless he improves. I don't know how they're going to do that with Gorman. Yeah, because Gorman, I think Gorman is more likely to take over at third base for Arenado than Walker. Yeah. Um, but I also feel like Gorman makes some sense at first base as well. So maybe, or maybe they just kind of share first base and DH. Yeah. Um, a little bit. Well, and I mean, after this season, Nolan Arenado has four more seasons that he's under yeah. contract in St. Louis. So this is not a. Um, this is not a thing that's happening anytime soon. Um, no, I agree with you a hundred percent. I mean, Gold, Goldschmidt's the first baseman as long as he's here. And so unless they really surprise us and do trade him this trade deadline, he'll be there, you know, through 24. So yeah, I think they're going to have to keep, you know, uh, seeing what they can get out of Walker in the outfield just so they can get him in the lineup enough because, you know, they need some of those DH at bats just for other guys to have a little bit of rest and frankly for Gorman as well, because even though Gorman, you know, I think has made improvements at second base. I think Gore, it's okay that they play Gorman at second base, but still, you know, it's nice to not have to play Gorman every day at second base and to have a better defensive option there. Um, and also, by the way, I would just, so many people have been dunking on the front office. They were really wrong in their assessment of his defense, right? Like if, if they, if they knew he was this bad, Ben, to start the season, is there any way he makes the major league roster to open the year? No, the, I mean, you're talking Walker in the outfield. Yeah. 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 No, you're right. I mean, it was a lot where, you know, and I mean, Kyle, I think kind of warned us all on this. I think Kyle yes. was, you know, um, and, and, you know, probably anyone who had watched it. So, no, it was a lot worse than I suspected. I mean, just given his athleticism, you kind of figured, you know, yeah, it'll be um, sloppy, but, you know, it'll be sloppy, but athletic. And, yeah. you know, the the sloppy outweighed the athletic by such a degree that it's been pretty problematic. Yeah, and I, I thought, you know, they did their traditional Trotto Kendo out for the St. Louis media and have him talk about, how Walker has progressed. And I bought into that before the year, I thought he would start in AAA because of his, his very recent move to the outfield. Um, and I kind of, I have to confess, despite usually having a healthy degree of skepticism about this team, uh, I, I kind of set it aside for Walker in the outfield and now I regret having do, done so. Um, let's move on to our other questions. The wallet inspector asks, other than Jordan Walker, what is there to stick around for in the balance of the 2023 season? Um, I don't know. I haven't checked the promotional calendar um, lately, but there's probably a couple fun bobbleheads, uh, maybe a, you know, a t-shirt or some other uh, tchotchkes. So I don't know, Ben. Um, tchotchkes, I think that might be my answer. Um <laughs> Uh, I think I think you've got a few like Brendan Donovan's fun to watch play. Uh, yeah. New bar if he's healthy is fun, um, and you're gonna get to see uh, a whole bunch of like 
quadruple A starters for the last two months. So that'll be fun. You'll get to see who will be, who will challenge Jake Woodford for the swingman uh, quadruple A starter uh, job next year. We'll, we'll get a good idea of who that will be over the, the final two months. The three-headed Jake Woodford, uh, Andre Pallante, uh, Zach Thompson monster. I mean, we'll get our first look at that. So, um, all right. Andrew Schneider asks, will I see some fun baseball in the second half from the Cardinals? Ben? Well, I think we kind of, <laughs> I guess we kind of this is our <laughs> last question talked, too. We, we I feel, told you about a Hydra who's, yeah, that's the, right. uh, that sounds fun. I think that's your best case scenario. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I feel like we've kind of said this before. Uh, look, I don't think you should probably watch this team in the same way that you've been watching Cardinals teams for the last, you know, 20 years, um, aside from, getting, <laughs> um, right. Because you're, you, you know, don't go out there and analyze every, uh, pitch and every like managerial move and really sweat like, oh man, that's where they blew the game was with this, you know, error in the sixth inning or this, you know, they went to this guy in the bullpen in the seventh when they should have got to this gun to this guy. Don't do that to yourself because, this is not a good team and this team is not going to reward that in any way. So, yeah, I think you just have to find whatever storylines, whatever characters interest you and kind of connect with them. And so Jordan Walker's come up here, Lars Newtbar's come up, um, you know, whoever, uh, whoever you enjoy or whatever you can kind of find enjoyment in, you know, watch that, enjoy that, but don't feel like you need to watch every second of it. And certainly don't feel like you need to sweat every second or every result. No. And you know, like if you like, uh, fun movies, you can go watch Tom Cruise drive a motorcycle off a cliff one night, or, uh, you could watch the bear season two instead. Mm -hmm. uh, because it's healthy to get away from such a, an aggravating uh, force in our lives as the 2023 St. Louis Cardinals. So, well, uh, you know, feel free to do that. Empower well, and, yourself to do that. Yeah. You know, and Ben, I guess these last two questions, they kind of led us into our traditional end of the episode. And we were going to end by talking about what we're going to be looking for in the second half. And we've kind of mentioned a lot of things already. Is there anything else that you are going to be looking for that you wanted to mention? Uh, in the second half, um, I think the thing that I am most interested in watching is Dylan Carlson, because he has really... Uh, you know, kind of climbed out of a, an early season hole, I feel like, and an injury. And I think he's really injected himself into the conversation about the future in a way that I feel like he wasn't a part of. And also when you look at his peripherals, uh, despite uh, the health questions, um, they've, they've improved as well. His quality of contact, um, and he has a good batting eye. And that's the thing that I've always liked about him. And so the, the two components that really make a good hitter are swing choices and then contact quality. His contact quality has improved this year and he continues to make pretty good swing choices. And so I'm interested to see if they let him go every day as, as a center fielder, um, even though they have a fetish about Tommy Edmond for some reason. 
Um, because Dylan Carlson, whether you have a three to five or one year plan, he's more a part of the Cardinals future at this point in time um, than someone like Tommy Edmund. Um, and so, or Tyler O'Neill. So they need to, in my opinion, they need to let themselves see what they have in him. And so I'm going to be watching his performance the rest of the year. All right. Well, um, you know, I made a list of some of the things I'm going to be looking for. Um, Barbie and Oppenheimer come out July 21st. Then. Uh, did you know Old Boy is re-releasing in theaters on August 16th? Um, I did not know that. Is yeah. that going to be at the Varsity Theater in Des Moines, or it do is, I have to go it, to... It is, uh, it is, as a matter of fact. Uh, I will have to share that with my better half. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Ethan Cohen's solo directorial debut, uh, Driveaway Dolls, comes out September 22nd. So those are just a few of the things that I'm going to be looking for uh, in the second half of the baseball season. Um, but aside, I suppose if I had to say on the field, it'd be some of those storylines we talked about, you know, if, if Mason Wynn does come up, I'm going to love to kind of see that. Um, I don't know, man, I'd love to see Wainwright get 200, but at this point it feels like it's going to be so painful to watch if they go there. I don't know. I don't know about that. The other thing I'm going to be watching for, you know, our good friend, Alex Chrisafuli, um, has a number of kind of things he watches out for historic things. One of my favorites that he always keeps an eye on the Cardinals have not finished behind the pirates in the standings since 1999 and it's like the longest streak in all of sports of any team uh, versus another team and so i am really uh interested to see if they can maintain that one because that is that is really a uh, touch and go at this point if that's gonna if that's gonna happen yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be a nail biter folks so that that could be instead of the playoff chase it will be will we be as bad as the pirates this year or worse yes absolutely absolutely all right ben um folks have a a little bit of time um on this uh kind of off day plus this all-star break do you have an off day all-star break recommendation for them Well, I already mentioned it and ruined it, but uh, my wife and I have completed the bear season two. I recommended the bear season one last year and the bear season two is great. And I loved it. And the needle drops are amazing. And I really like the show. It has a lot of heart and a lot of drama. And I think it's really, really good. And I encourage you to check it out. It's on Hulu. You can stream it on Hulu. and uh, I would encourage you to do so. Yeah, I need to do so. I love the first season and I haven't got around to starting the second season yet. So I will do that. Um, I'm going to recommend uh, the new ball game, The Not So Hidden Forces Shaping Baseball. This is Russell Carlton's new book. Um, I'm about halfway through it, but it is probably one of my very favorite baseball books I've read in, in the last you know five years plus. Um, uh, probably know Russell Carlton, longtime writer, uh, baseball prospectus and elsewhere, um, spent a little bit of time as an analyst um, for the, the Mets, I believe. And then um, uh, also a, a, a licensed therapist, Ben, and has a whole other career in, uh, in oh. psychotherapy and has, has maintained that throughout his, uh, his baseball career. But um, what I really like about this um, as your kind of, you know, your, your sort of analytics books go is... Um, as the title suggests, it's it's basically focused on the way, like how baseball looks now 
and then it kind of deconstructs like what like why does baseball look the way that it does now like what what are some of the you know things that maybe pushed it to the way it looks now but then it also gets into some really interesting why questions he has a chapter called you know uh, did analytics ruin baseball and then he has another one called you know can analytics fix baseball and and one thing that he kind of wrestles with in those chapters but also throughout the books is just this idea that um you know one thing about the sort of analytics movement is that it was always of course focused 100% on efficiency right and so it's about you know winning efficiency scoring efficiency and all of this and that's driven everything and you can't put that genie back in the bottle but and but you know i think he does reckon with some of the sort of you know maybe some some storytelling value some just kind of aesthetic value that may have been sacrificed kind of along the way so it's an interesting time for this book to come out especially as we've seen things like the pitch clock that i think are really some of the first changes we've seen come in and really kind of effectively say hey we're going to make this change just because we do want to sort of reshape a little bit of the look and the experience of of the game um you know not in a way that's just solely about kind of you know the you know efficiency aspect of it and so it is interesting to kind of get into that and and i think you know honestly kind of talk about that and say well yeah this is a thing that has value here but you know what what is the value of it um you know etc so anyway very interesting book uh, really enjoying it so that's a new ball the new ball game uh from russell carlton ben anything else before we wrap up this all-star break I wouldn't call this a spectacular. A lot of times we call these special episodes spectacular, but I don't think anything about this season nor this episode has been a spectacular. Are you, are you with me on this? I I agree with you, and I don't have uh, I don't have anything more to add except I hope folks enjoy the All Star Break festivities in Seattle. I know uh, I have been enjoying them so far, and the All Star Game to me is always fun because. You know, even with all of the uh, kind of adjustments and little tweaks that they've done, you really do get like the best versus the best, and you get some really fun matchups. And uh, I always look forward to it every year, and I uh, hope everyone enjoys it this year. Yes. Now they'll be hearing this after the game has happened, Ben. Even though we're oh, then I hope you have enjoyed it. I <laughs> forgot we were posting this afterwards and we're well, recording it during the All Star or the Home Run Derby. So I apologize to everyone. I hope you have enjoyed it because it is <laughs> it really is fun. Uh, even with year long interleague, it's it's really great to see, you know, just some guys who can mash the baseball going up against some guys with just disgusting stuff. It's it's just a treat every year. And I look forward to it every year. And I uh, have enjoyed what I've been able to catch out of the corner of my eye of the home run derby so far. And uh, everyone just also, it is a break from the 2023 St. Louis Cardinals with good baseball. So yeah. what's there not to love? Well, yeah, and we uh, we actually have a couple weeks of uh, games coming up after this. So our next off day is not until right before the trade deadline. So when we next uh, join folks, um, we hopefully will have had some moves made or be right on the cusp of some moves. So we'll be back to talk about those. I think if we have a really, really big move happen, we might consider doing a special non-off day pod. We'll just have to play that by here. But um, either way, you'll definitely hear from us uh, right around the time of that trade deadline because that will be the next Cardinals off day, so we'll see y'all then. Go, go.